0: I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. If we read the book of James, we're going all the way back to the beginning. We're just asking the question, if the first Christians... Could write a letter to the 21st century what would they say well here's what we've discovered so far they would say listen more talk less calm down they would say repent open your heart and receive the word of god they would say again talk less care more keep clean they would say don't play favorites in the church Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then they would say, don't just talk about your faith, live it, live it. And that brings me now to one of the most fascinating verses in the New Testament. James chapter 2, just one verse this morning for the message entitled, James 2.19, for the message entitled, the orthodoxy of hell, the orthodoxy. Of hell. Listen to what this one verse says. You believe God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. Some verses ought to scare us. How can demons believe and still be called demons? If they could believe and end up in hell, what about us? We can say right up front that this verse means exactly what it says. The demons believe in God and even believe in the oneness of God, yet that belief will not save them. Strange as it may sound, this is a verse about the orthodoxy of hell. There is a kind of belief that does not lead to heaven there is such a thing as demonic faith which is not believing in the demons but believing like the demons now who are the demons they are spirit beings created by god to serve him they were originally good angels who followed lucifer in his rebellion against god they along with lucifer were cast out of heaven They are powerful spirit beings who now serve Satan and his evil purposes on the earth. Their mission is entirely negative. According to James, we can learn something important from their bad example. Now, in this message, all we're going to do is we're going to ask and answer three questions to help us learn from the strange case of the demons who believe and yet still end up in hell. Question one, when James says the demons believe, what does he mean? What do demons believe? James answers by saying they believe God is one. That's a good thing to believe. That was the starting point of Old Testament religion. The first readers, that is, the first readers of James, would instinctively recall the famous Shema of of Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. To the Jews, this was the most important verse in the Torah. It was the foundation of their religion. Parents taught this verse to their children. They would write it down, recite it, memorize it, and build their lives around it. And to this day, to this day, Truly observant Jews will repeat the Shema in the morning and in the evening before they go to sleep. This verse means there is only one God and people are to love Him supremely. But consider this. What the demons believe about God is true. It is 100% biblical. The demons know the truth about God. They know there is a God. They know that there is only one God, but we can go further than that. Now listen, the demons are not atheists. They are not skeptics. There are no agnostics among their ranks. There are no liberal demons who doubt the truth. When James says, you do well, he's not being sarcastic or ironic. He's being entirely truthful, and his readers would have taken it that way. Biblical faith begins with acknowledging truth. The one true God. How does the Bible begin? In the beginning God. In the beginning God. True faith begins there, but it doesn't end there. So, suppose we go to the New Testament. Just ask ourselves, what else do demons believe? If you're taking notes, jot this down. Because when you study the various encounters with the demons in the New Testament, we learn additional things they believe. For instance, demons believe in the deity of christ when they saw jesus they bowed down to him and cried out you are the son of god mark 3 11 and 12. they know his human name what do you have to do with us jesus of nazareth luke 4 34. they know his divine origin i know who you are the holy one of god luke four thirty four. they recognize true preaching of the gospel these men are servants of the most high god "...who proclaim to you the way of salvation." Acts 16, 17. They even, get this, demons even recognize false preaching of the gospel. Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? Acts 19:15. 15. Demons believe in hell. The demons infesting the man from the tombs beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss, the place of final punishment." Luke eight thirty one. There's more. They acknowledge Jesus as their ultimate judge. Those same demons beg Jesus not to torment them. Mark 5, 7. They believe in a set time for their punishment. They ask Jesus, have you come to punish us before our time? Matthew 8, 29. They know Jesus is sovereign over them. How do I know that? Because they must ask Jesus for permission to enter the pigs. Mark 5, 11-13. They know they must bow before Jesus. When the demon infested man saw Jesus, he voluntarily voluntarily bows down before him. Mark 5-6. They submit to the power of Jesus' words. When he casts them out of a person, they must come out. Matthew 17-18. Now, put all that together. That's pretty amazing. That's an impressive array of biblical truth. No wonder RC Sproul said it this way, quote, Satan could make an A in my systematic theology course. He knows the information and he knows the information is true. Said another way, never play Bible trivia with a demon. He will win every time. So that's question one. What do the demons know? They know a great deal. Number two, James says, the demons believe and they shudder. Question two, why do they shudder? The word shudder translates a very unusual Greek word used only here in the New Testament. It means, watch this, it means to have your hair Stand on end. You know what? You know what English word we get from this Greek word? Frizzy. The English word frizzy comes from this Greek word. I call it a Halloween word because it describes how you would react in a haunted house at midnight when you hear a creak and then the sound of a door slowly opening. Someone. Where something is coming. But in the darkness you can't see a thing. You hear the sound of steps moving slowly in your direction. But who is it? What do they want? What will happen when they reach you? You hold your breath hoping whoever it is will pass you by. Your muscles tense. You're breathing slow. You, you, you strain to hear a sound. But the steps come closer and closer. They stop just behind you. You try to run but your feet won't move. Suddenly an ice cold hand grips your shoulder. That terror you feel is what James means when he says the demons shudder. Stephen Davy points out that if you take the Greek word translated shudder, and if you just turn it into a noun, it gives us the English word freaky. The thought of God freaks the demons out. The thought of Jesus freaks the demons out. Now, just take that and apply that to this. Remember, the demons are not heretics. They're not like the liberals of our day. They know who Jesus is. They know He will sentence them to eternal doom someday. Everything about Him terrifies them. They hate Jesus. They fear Him. They cannot deny His true identity. They cannot escape the coming judgment. Think about this. The demons know. The truth about Jesus. They shudder continually. They live in constant fear of their impending eternal doom. They know the ugly future that awaits them, but knowing all of that and living in fear cannot deliver them. So imagine the scene. It's Sunday morning in your local church. The pastor has finished his sermon. It's time now for the invitation. And during the invitation, a strange, shining creature walks the aisle it's the devil himself he wants to join your church your pastor is shocked so he begins to ask the devil a series of questions do you believe the bible yes i do it's all true do you believe jesus is the son of god without a doubt Do you believe in the virgin birth? Yes, I was there watching it in Bethlehem. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Yes, I saw it happen. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Absolutely, no question about it. Do you believe Jesus is coming again? Of course, he said he would. Will you be faithful in attending church? I'll be here every time the doors are open. Just one more question. Old devil, you've been going to and fro throughout the earth wreaking havoc, causing pain, sowing discord, breaking up marriages, stirring up death and destruction, dragging people down with you to hell. Do you here and now repent of your sin? Will you turn from your sin, bow your knee, and trust Christ as Savior? Paul, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. I can't repent, but even if I could, I wouldn't do it. I'll never Bow my knee to Jesus. I hate him. The devil bows his knee to no one. Then why did you come forward? To take as many church members as I can down to hell with me. Knowledge of the truth. Even believing the truth, even living in fear of what the truth must mean, that alone is never enough. The demons who believe and shudder are doomed forever. This is what James wants us to ponder. Question number three, what should we learn from this? This solemn verse stands as a warning to every religious person. Here is application number one. The more religious you are, the more you stand in danger of having demonic faith. To make it more personal, the thought occurs to me that I stand in grave danger myself. I have been a Jesus follower for 48 years. But before that, I was a church member. I've been in church all my life. I feel comfortable here. I know the routine. I understand the language. I know the songs. I know how to pray the prayers. I know what's going to happen on Sunday morning. When they, uh, when they pass around the, the cup, the little cup, I know how to take the little cup and the little wafer. We observe the Lord's Supper. I've memorized Scripture. I started out in the cradle roll, graduated to the beginners, then on to the juniors, then to the intermediates, then to junior high, and then to high school. I know all the verses to just as i am i knew all those verses by the time i was 12 years old i went on youth retreats i know all about rededication services i walked i walked aisle i joined the church i was baptized by brother collie my childhood pastor later i attended a christian college then went to seminary then pastored three churches wrote a few books started a ministry preached around the world and now here i am that's my life part of it at least, in one paragraph. It's very easy when you know all of that to suddenly begin to rely on your own religious pedigree in place of having a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. I subscribe to the great creeds of the church I believe wholeheartedly what evangelical Christians believe. I can sign the statement of faith of every church I ever pastored. I can happily sign my seminary statement of faith. Happily sign the word of life statement of faith. I read the Puritans. I quote Spurgeon. I'm a happy member of a Baptist church. I love watching old videos of Billy Graham preaching. I learned the gospel when Ed McCollum explained it to me, when Angel Martinez preached it to me, when I read it on the pages of the Sword of the Lord almost 50 years ago. I call myself an evangelical Christian. That's my ecclesiastical home. So, what's the point? Well, we all have a story, don't we? Some are raised Catholic or Lutheran, or Methodist, or Church of Christ, or Presbyterian, or Charismatic, or Brethren, or Anglican, or maybe you were raised without any religion, but you've got your own story, and you've got your own religious history. We all do. It's fine to have a history. It's good to know your theology. It's great to read esteemed Bible commentators. It's wonderful to be a part of a good church, and it's very good if you can pass those theology quizzes that pop up on Facebook. But it's a great mistake to think that you are going to heaven because of your knowledge or your religious background or because you went to such and such a seminary and made straight A's under doctor wrote many books. The demons made straight A's too. They know theology better than you do, much better than I do. They know the Bible backward and forward. They even believe in the sense that they acknowledge the truth about who Jesus is. They know good gospel preaching when they hear it. And they know that fake stuff because they're the ones inspiring those Candyland TV preachers. In one sense, the demons are wiser than some of us because of what they know about their future. They shudder in fear of the coming judgment. Gordon Keddy poses this question, quote, Why is it? That demons tremble while sinners sail on in blissful unconcern. The answer is that demons are not so blind as people. They know their latter end. They really fear the wrath to come. But careless sinners say they believe in God positively and then go on in daily life as if he did not exist. And yet they dream they are safe in the everlasting arm. There's another way of looking at this. Many of us take ourselves and our religion too seriously. We look at our own record. We judge our own sincerity. and We compare ourselves with others. We're very impressed with ourselves. And consequently, not so impressed with Jesus. It's very easy for us to become, quote, careless sinners even while pursuing a life of outward piety. We may even think our faith is real because we have a seminary degree. Mark it down, dear friends. There will be many good theologians in hell. In fact, hell is populated with good theologians already. They're called demons. Make sure you don't join them. Knowledge alone will never save you. Checking the right boxes will never save you. Living in fear of hell will never save you. Let this be a somber warning to you and to me. Don't make the mistake of knowing a lot and yet doing nothing with what you know. That brings me then to my second application. What should we learn from this story? We need something beyond what the demons have. We need true, biblical, saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I use the phrase, true, saving faith, what am I talking about? Well, true, saving faith involves three things. The intellect, the emotions, and the will. The faith that saves us involves all that we are in coming to Christ. Faith starts with knowledge, moves to conviction, and ends with commitment. Now, in the 19th century, the greatest tightrope walker in the world was a man named Charles Blondon. On June 30, 1859, he became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Over 25,000 people gathered to watch him walk 1,100 feet, suspended on a tiny rope, 160 feet above the raging waters. He worked without a net or a safety harness of any kind. The slightest slip would prove fatal. When he safely reached the Canadian side, the crowd burst into a mighty roar. In the days that followed, he would walk across the falls many times. Once, he walked across on stilts, (laughs) Another time, he took a chair and a stove with him and sat down midway across, cooked an omelet, and ate it. No, I don't know how he did that. (laughs) Once, he carried his manager across, riding piggyback. He even pushed, one time, a wheelbarrow across, loaded with 350 pounds of cement. On one occasion, he asked the cheering spectators, if they thought he could push a man across sitting in a wheelbarrow. A mighty roar of approval came from the crowd, spying a man, cheering loudly. He said, sir, do you think I could take you safely across in this wheelbarrow? Yes, of course, the man said. Get in, said the great blondin with a smile. The man refused and vanished into the crowd. That does make it clear, doesn't it? It's one thing to believe a man can walk across by himself. It's another thing to believe that he theoretically could take you safely across. But it's something else entirely to put yourself in the wheelbarrow and trust yourself completely to that man. That's the difference between knowledge, conviction, and commitment. So, If you know what it means to believe a doctor when he says you need surgery and to trust him to do it right, you know what it means to have faith. If you know what it means to step into an airplane, entrusting your safety to the captain in the cockpit, you know what it means to have faith. If you know what it means when you're in trouble, to ask a lawyer To plead your case in court, you know what it means to have faith. Faith is total reliance on another person to do that which you could never do for yourself. So the question is this, how much faith does it take to go to heaven? The answer is, it depends. The answer is, not much. But all you've got, if you are willing to trust Jesus Christ with as much faith as you happen to have, you can be saved. But if you are holding anything back, thinking that maybe you need to do something to help save yourself, forget it. So, here then are five words that will take you all the way to heaven. Here are five words that will take you all the way from Word of Life, Florida all the way home to heaven when the moment comes. Only Jesus and Jesus only. Only Jesus and Jesus only. But listen to me. It is not enough to say those words. It is not enough to memorize them. It is not enough to write them on a card. You must trust Christ and Him alone. Oh, my friends, oh, my friends, what I'm saying to you, in my heart I'm saying to myself, Don't fall into the trap of demonic faith. That's the trap of thinking that you can recognize Christ without having a relationship with him. It's the trap of acknowledging him without accepting him. It's the trap of fearing him, but never truly trusting him. No demon will ever trust Christ, but you can. No demon will ever repent, but you can. No demon will ever believe and be saved, but you can you can I'm a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary founded by great men now in heaven long in heaven Dr. Lewis Sperry Chafer Dr. Chafer liked to explain saving faith this way believing in Jesus means trusting him so much that if he can't take you to heaven you're not going to go there He used to say that when he preached. If Jesus can't take me, I'm not going there. I'm good with that, folks. I'm down with that. Jesus is my plan A, and there is no plan B. I am trusting him so completely. I'm going all in on the Son of God that if for any reason he can't take me, I won't go there. But I'm going to be okay. I am going to be okay. God help you and me each of us individually and all of us together to trust in Jesus Christ. Let us say I am trusting him so much that if he can't take me to heaven, I'm not going to go there. Or said another way, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean On Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So, brothers and sisters, let us wholly lean on Jesus' name. Jesus only and only Jesus. He is a great Savior. He never turns away anyone. Who comes to him in simple, saving faith? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Before before I pray, I want to say what's been said here so many times before. We're so glad you came this morning, so glad you're here with us. But after a message like this, we just need to ask the question Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopal, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your background is. I'm not asking you you're religious. I'm asking you, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ? Oh, don't make a mistake and be like the demons. Don't believe facts, but never trust. Trust in him. Are you willing this morning to put your trust in Jesus? I want to lead us in a simple prayer. I've already made clear words alone can't save. It's faith that saves. Faith in Jesus. But words help us express our faith. So just quietly where you are, just in your heart, you could say, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. And I do believe you are the Son of God. Lord Jesus, I do believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. Oh, Lord Jesus, with all that I have and all that I am, I trust you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Simple prayer, simple prayer. But that could be the difference between heaven and hell. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I wonder if you would just slip your hand up. Briefly and put it down. And let me know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, anyone else? Just put, just slip the hand up and put it down. Thank you. Several people prayed the prayer. Wouldn't it be terrible to end up in hell because you heard the truth and didn't do anything about it? Anyone else want to say, I prayed the prayer today? Just slip your hand up and put it down. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've made The way so simple. We're the ones who've made it difficult. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for our Lord who died and rose again. Lord, I pray for these dear ones who this morning prayed the prayer and are trusting you. Thank you, Lord. They have passed now from death to life and are standing on the solid rock. Help us all to trust Jesus and Him alone because we pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.